is from the final chapter in Jonah, from Jonah chapter 4. I'll be reading from the NIV, New International Version, and in my Bible, chapter 4 is titled, Jonah's Anger at the Lord's Compassion. Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. For a quick context, God had just shown mercy to the Ninevites, who were Jonah's enemy and the Israelites' enemy. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And now, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the final week, week number four of the uh, Jonah series titled The Upside-Down Mirror. Hence, the mirror is here on the stage. So one quick final recap for anybody who's uh, here for the first time or not familiar with the title or the series. You might say that reading the Bible is like looking in the mirror. You can see yourself in some of the characters and in the stories. You learn something about yourself. And the book of Jonah is one story in the Bible that's sort of upside down. Nothing is quite the way that we expect it to be. So reading the story of Jonah is like looking in an upside-down mirror. It feels like something is off about what it's telling us about ourselves. 
but you can't hold a mirror upside down. It's always going to show you exactly as you are. The story of Jonah shows us how we're kind of upside down. We don't have it all figured out. That Jonah might be a pretty bad prophet, but when you start to think about it, we're more like him than maybe we realize. So the last few weeks, we've seen how Jonah is this horrible prophet who runs away from God when he receives his mission, and how he would rather die than preach to the people of Nineveh. We see a lot more of that today. And then when running away from God almost gets him killed, then God saves him. And Jonah's thankful for being saved, but he's still not really sorry for running. He doesn't want to preach to Nineveh, but he goes anyways because God asked him. And last week, we talked about Jonah's very short sermon to the people of Nineveh and how he preached and he prophesied that Nineveh would be overthrown. And the Hebrew word for overthrown is a very important one. The Hebrew word is hafach, and it means turned upside down. And in the end, we saw that Nineveh was turned upside down by God's mercy. So the end of chapter 3 goes like this. I've got 3 verse 10 up on the screen there. When God saw how they turned from their evil ways, it's the Ninevites turning from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. In a more literal translation, from Hebrew to English, of that word there, destruction, would actually be the evil he had threatened. And that's very interesting, because God doesn't do evil things. But if Nineveh had not repented, it would have been a, a dangerous, a violent scene for them. It certainly would have been not good for them if they had not repented. But God relented from the evil he had threatened. But Jonah 4 verse 1 uses the same word. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. In Hebrew, very evil. And he became angry. The Hebrew in this phrase is very emphatic. It repeats this word. In a very literal way, it says, evil, this seemed to Jonah, a great evil. And if you've been following along with the series, maybe your ears perked up a little bit at that word great. We've talked about this a few times, that the Hebrew word for great is gadol, and it's used 15 times in this short book just a little bit over the top. But spotting this word helps us to see and point out the places where the author is blowing things out of proportion. Think in chapter one, the great storm. And then in chapter two, the great fish. In chapter three, we saw Nineveh, the great city. And now here in chapter four, we have Jonah's great anger. 
So Jonah doesn't just think that God made a little mistake by showing mercy to Nineveh. God has done something downright evil the way that Jonah sees it. And he's angry. In previous weeks, I've talked about the VeggieTales effect, this phrase from Tim Mackey, and how we're so familiar with a, a children's version of some stories, like the story of Jonah, that it's lost its true meaning. Now, chapter 4 is easily the least known chapter in the book of Jonah. And I think that's because a lot of simplified retellings of this story completely leaves this chapter out. We don't like the way this ending is going. Just looking at verse 1 together is enough to feel that way. Jonah's calling God evil, and he's very angry. Like the verse that we just read, 3 verse 10, that's a much better, happier ending. But the Bible doesn't end at Jonah 3. So we're not going to either. Jonah 4 verse 2 says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. And just as a quick aside, when's the last time that you had an honest and angry prayer for God? But Jonah admits to everything that he's been doing in chapters 1 through 3 here. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So we see so clearly that Jonah knew exactly what he was doing the entire time. He was worried from the start that this was going to be the outcome if he obeyed God. And so he did everything in his power to not obey. So how did Jonah know that this was going to happen. It's ironic, really. Up on the screen here it says, I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Like as if these are God's worst qualities. Perhaps some of you remember, maybe about a month ago, the last time that Pastor Eric preached, and he was preaching on Exodus 33 and 34. And in that passage, then God shows himself to Moses, and he describes himself to Moses. So this is how God describes himself in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. These are the exact same words that Jonah uses to describe God. They're God's words, the way that he describes himself. Jonah uses them like they're some kind of insult. Like when it comes to showing compassion and love to the Israelites, well, that's that's great. But then when it comes to doing the same to Nineveh, that's just crossing the line. 
Can't you just show a little discretion, God? I get that you're compassionate and slow to anger, but don't you have to draw the line somewhere? Your love can't possibly abound to them. Why them? Jonah has this same issue throughout the entire book. He doesn't want God to be merciful to his enemies. This is why Jonah gave a short sermon that lacked the necessary information. This is why Jonah wasn't really repentant when he ran away from God. This is why Jonah ran in the first place. This is why Jonah wanted to die on the boat, and it's why he wants to die now. He can't control God, and it makes him angry. You see, Jonah doesn't want to do God's will. He only wants his own will. A big sacrifice of becoming a Christian, of being a God follower, is giving up the things that you want for what God wants. There's actually a name for this. It's an ancient spiritual practice. Detachment, letting go. And there's a theologian in the 13th century named Eckhart who often spoke about detachment. So here's a quote from Eckhart that I want to read for you. Some of it's up on the screen, but there's a bit more. He writes, As it is now, if you are sick, of course you do not want to be well against God's will, but you wish that it were God's will for you to get well. And when things go badly for you, you wish that it was God's will for you to get along better. But when God's will becomes your will, then if you are sick, it will be in God's name. Then, even if your friend dies, it would be in God's name. Sometimes we want our will more than we want God's will. And maybe you're feeling frustrated because the plan that God's had for you is a different one from what you draw up for yourself. I know I feel that way sometimes. And Jonah is so frustrated with the plan that God has for him, he wants to die. And this is not the first time that we've seen this from Jonah in this book. We saw it also in chapter 1. But here in 4 verse 3, he says, It's better for me to die than to live. Ever dramatic Jonah. But God challenges Jonah on this. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? But Jonah doesn't respond. He leaves the city of Nineveh. He finds a spot to sit and make a shelter. And it says that he wanted to see what would happen to the city. 
Jonah is not giving up on seeing Nineveh destroyed just yet. Jonah continues to refuse to make God's will his will. And so he's sitting here, staring down at the city, wishing that his own will would happen. Jonah is still attached to his own will. And he refuses to accept that it's good and right that God is in control and not him. It's this lack of detachment that makes Jonah so angry he wants to die. So God is going to provide for Jonah. It says that God provides a plant which gives shade to Jonah. Apparently, the shelter that he made for himself isn't accomplishing very much because it's the plant that provides shelter for Jonah. You can see his personal efforts are still failing. Just like in chapter 2, when God provided the great fish, God provides the plant. And just like in chapter 2, God is going to try to teach Jonah something. So God provides. And verse 6 says, Jonah was very happy about the plant. A great happiness. And this is the first time in the whole book that Jonah is happy. And it's about a plant and some shade. These aren't the most amazing amenities but they've got Jonah feeling pretty good. And then in verse 7, the lesson really begins. At dawn the next day, uh, we can go to the next slide, sorry, it's not very clear. At dawn the next day, God provided a worm and chewed it so that the plant withered. So it's God who provides the plant and It's also God who provides the worm that makes the plant wither. And it's also God who provides the scorching east wind. And the sun is beating down on Jonah's head. And verse 8 again, he wanted to die. Jonah wants to die again, again. And Jonah's met with this same challenging question from God. The cycle is just repeating through this chapter. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah starts to throw this little toddler-like temper tantrum at this point. He says, it is right for me to be angry. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's so angry at God, he's so angry at his lack of control, he's so attached to his own will, he can't even begin to have a normal conversation. The first time God asks the question, he totally avoids the interaction, he doesn't say anything, he just leaves. And now the second time, he just explodes in God's face at the same question. God is trying to teach Jonah about mercy and about the value of people. Jonah just won't listen. 
God says, you care so much about this plant. It's here and gone in one day. That's something you should have a small amount of investment in. Shouldn't you care less about this little plant and more about the many people of Nineveh? God gives a very interesting description of the people of Nineveh. He says, there's 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. That's the last verse in the book. What does this phrase mean? 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left. I think it's about moral ignorance. It's not that the Ninevites don't know what direction is what. It's more that they don't know right from wrong than right from left. Like the Ninevites aren't obeying God's will because they don't know what God's will is. And how are they supposed to know if nobody teaches them? This is a big part of God's mercy that I think is often under, misunderstood. That it's not just forgiving the mistakes that we've made, but teaching us the way forward. Teaching us how to live. God's law isn't just a list of do's and don'ts, but it's his guide for us about how to live the best life that we can live. It's out of mercy that God gives his law to us. It's him saying, if you want to have good relationships with me and with the people around you, here's what you should do. And I know because I'm God. If you don't do these things, your life is going to fall apart. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt the people around you. I don't want that for you. So God isn't just sparing Nineveh from the mistakes that they've made, from the punishment that they deserve. He is teaching them the way forward. He's trying to do the same thing to Jonah. Perhaps you've noticed that every sermon in this series so far, I end with an open-ended question. It's a little bit non-conclusive, but that's also the way the story of Jonah ends. It's a strange ending. God asked this open-ended question, and again, Jonah doesn't respond. When we're reading this, we expect a response from Jonah, and it just cuts off. I think that's done deliberately. Remember in other weeks, I've been saying how the author's messing with us. Everything's very exaggerated. Everything is great and over the top. That there was an unexpected opening and now there's an unexpected, upside-down ending. The book ends with this strange, open-ended question. 
because it leaves us reflective. The story isn't about Jonah. It's about you. Who do I not want God to show mercy to? I think that's a lot harder to answer today for Western people than it was for Jonah. Like here in Canada, we don't have such a black and white obvious enemy at our doorstep, and that's definitely a blessing. But that also means that our hatred is more subtle. It's harder to know that it's even there. So I sat in my office the other day thinking to myself, who do Western people hate universally? And maybe this feels like a bit of a silly answer, but one example I thought of was scam callers. I doubt anyone in this room would say, I love it when I get a scam caller on the other end of the phone. They're great people. And when we hear stories about people twisting things and scamming the scam caller, or when we hear stories about them being rude or even harassing those people, and we all cheer and feel good about it. I want you to remember that they are still a person. It's still a person on the other end of that line. And more likely than not, they're in a really tough situation. And in a lot of countries, it's, it's nearly impossible to get an honest job. And so now the option of, of scamming some random rich person around the world in order to be able to feed your family doesn't seem like such a bad option anymore. So do scam callers deserve your mercy? No. But God gives you mercy even when you don't deserve it. Mercy is always undeserved. Does that mean we have to let them start scamming us? Also no. I think it's honestly a, a horrible thing, what they're doing, taking advantage of people. But just remember, they're still a person. They're still a human created in God's image. And that should reflect the way you treat them. That should reflect the way you talk about them. No matter if they're a scam caller across the world or your neighbor across the road, no matter their age, race, sexual orientation, or gender identity, no matter where they stand on either side of the issue, no matter how morally ignorant you might think that they are, no matter how grouchy or defensive they get, they're still a person. They're still a human created in God's image. And that 
should impact the way you treat them and the way you talk about them. Do they deserve mercy any less? Going back to Exodus 33, where God talks to Moses, in verse 19, he describes himself this way. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's how God describes himself. Are you okay with God showing mercy to whoever he wants? Are you willing to detach from your own will in exchange for God's will? Let's pray together. God in heaven, we pray that you would teach us your will. Help us to let go of the things that we want and exchange them for the things that you want. We know that you are perfectly wise and in control of all things. We thank you for the mercy that you give us. And we pray that you would help us to be equally as merciful to the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.